Good morning. I'm Leslie Thatcher. 806 on this Monday. It's February 5th. 30 degrees here in Old Town Park City. Some light snow showers still falling. On the phone with us from the ABC Forecast Center, meteorologist Thomas Keyboy. Good morning. Morning, Leslie. Happy Monday to you. I mean, after a relatively quiet end to the weekend, we're already back to active weather, and it's going to be an active week weather-wise, really across the entire state. But in the Wasatch back, we're going to be looking at a pretty good chance of snow showers through the next several days, with tomorrow maybe getting a little bit tricky with some well above average temperatures. But for today in Park City, we'll see a daytime high climb to the mid and upper 30s, might sneak to around 37, 38 degrees, while Heber will likely see a daytime high right around 40 degrees. So I think today in Park City will mainly stay, stay snow, but we could even see times of a wintry mix. It's also going to be breezy and blustery as well with a southeasterly wind anywhere from 15 to 20 miles per hour, maybe some gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. And then even though our temperature will be in the upper 30s, will likely feel just that bit colder thanks to the wind and it looks like that best chance of wet weather will come later this morning through the afternoon but as we've already seen throughout this morning we'll more or less hold on to that chance through the daytime hours before the chance of snow gradually begins to dwindle as we go into tonight with the overnight low falling to around 30 degrees the chance will go down but i don't think it goes away completely we'll still hold on to roughly a 20 percent chance during the overnight and then for our Tuesday, it's more in the way of scattered showers, but I think that wet weather potential will really start to pick up from the morning into the afternoon with a kind of peaking as we go into Tuesday night. So a 60% chance of wet weather during the daytime hours and with those winds straight out of the south, our temperatures are going to stay elevated and I think tomorrow is actually going to be warmer than today as we get into the low 40s in Park City, meaning we could see times of rain and snow making for what could be a slushy mess. But then as we go into Tuesday night, the overnight low drops below freezing. Any rain likely transitions over to straight snow and then we'll likely be looking at straight snow throughout the day on Wednesday with a daytime high coming in at 36 degrees. What we're going to see over the next few days is more or less from the same system with those winds out of the southwest. But by Thursday into Friday, another system starts to approach, but this one's going to come out of the northwest. So we'll still be looking at a really good chance of snow showers both Thursday and Friday with each day bringing about a 70 to 80 percent chance. But instead of high in the mid to upper 30s or even around 40 degrees, we'll be closer to freezing. And I think Thursday and Friday will bring a better chance of accumulating snow down in Park City itself, even though Tuesday into Wednesday, we'll likely be looking at some very healthy totals for the mountains. Then and finally, that chance of wet weather looks like it goes away as we move into this weekend. Still a chance of snow on Saturday and then on Sunday, partly cloudy skies. And by that point, we'll be looking at highs right around 30 degrees with overnight lows in the teens, which is exactly where we should be for this time of year. But all things considered here, Leslie, it's going to be a busy stretch of weather over the next five to six days. Kate Thomas, thank you. You're welcome. And with a look in the backcountry on the fun with us from the Utah Forecast Center, we've got Drew. Good morning, Drew. Uh, good morning, Leslie. This is Dave. How are you? Oh, hi, Dave. As the weather forecaster was saying, you know, the, the southerly winds have really increased since yesterday afternoon and have been transporting a lot more snow around, particularly at the high and mid elevation areas. And so most of the areas in northern Utah have a considerable avalanche danger at the highest elevations for wind drifted snow. And then we're still seeing avalanches that are failing in that persistent weak layer. And um, we had one in Days Fork in upper Big Cottonwood Canyon and then one right outside of the Brighton area boundary yesterday that failed into that persistent weak layer. Um, we've identified some of these areas as the thinner rocky spots. Um, some are repeater avalanches from earlier in December, but those persistent weak layer avalanches are still out there breaking two to five feet deep and up to 100 feet wide. Okay, thank you. Well, stay tuned. Coming up on the local news hour this morning, we'll be checking in with Summit County Sheriff Frank Smith along with Chief Deputy Casey Bates.
Live Like Sam, uh, Live Like Sam founder Ron Jackenthal, along with author and guest speaker Joel Zuckerman, talk about an event that the foundation is hosting on February 7th. And finally, Friends of Summit County for Responsible Development, Gary Peacock, discussing his concerns on the rush to vote on the Dakota Pacific Real Estate Development Plan at Kimball Junction. Then stay tuned for Mountain Money. Today's guests include Cameron McWhorter and Zusha Ellenson, authors, um, talking about America's gun culture. Then Peter Jay with the Heber Valley Business Resource Center shares information on the resources, services, and training offered to businesses and entrepreneurs at the center. And finally, a conversation with Bob and Kevin Valenka celebrating Shabu's 20th anniversary. Well, West Kimball Junction could have new housing units in 2027 if Summit County greenlights a controversial development this month. KPCW's Connor Thomas has this update on Dakota Pacific's plans. The latest special meeting between the Summit County Council and Dakota Pacific Real Estate focused on the residential density the developer is proposing. Dakota Pacific is looking to build 727 housing units, about a third of those reserved for lower income earners, and a total of 1.3 million square feet on roughly 50 acres. All involved are quick to clarify Dakota can already build the 1.3 million square feet of office space and 4,500 parking spots under its current development agreement with Summit County. As Council Vice Chair Tanya Hansen noted, that translates to 24 skull candies plus the thousands of parking spots. All five council members confirmed at Thursday's meeting they'd contemplate some degree of housing instead. What they pushed Dakota Pacific on was whether the footprint can be reduced without sacrificing affordability. But it's tough to get around economies of scale. Dakota Pacific CEO Mark Stanworth explained that as market rate units get cut, exponentially more affordable units get cut to preserve the bottom line. And he argues new housing addresses one of the biggest reasons some residents oppose new housing. We, we should not lose sight of density in relation to helping solve the biggest issue we have on the table collectively, and that is traffic. But wouldn't new residents bring new cars? That's what Hansen asked Stanworth. He said it's not one-to-one, -one, though, because some of those residents are currently commuting up Parley's Canyon anyway. County Manager Shane Scott actually made that argument on KPCW's local news hour Tuesday. People living in that, that area also aren't coming up the Kimball Junction interchange at 8 in the morning when, when the skiers are, when, when other employees are. U.S. Census Bureau and Utah Department of Workforce Services data from 2015 showed 60% of Summit County's workforce commutes from outside the county. That's 15,000 workers every day. Dakota Pacific estimates its development as currently proposed would house between 1,500 and 1,600 people, kids included. Councilmember Chris Robinson wants more of those people to be in affordable housing. And I do agree that the traffic is a big deal, is a big deal, but so is this, and especially making some, moving the needle on the affordability side is, is important to me. If approved February 20th, the developer says it could deliver the first units in 2027. That's also when the county and transit officials expect State Route 224 to get dedicated bus lanes from Kimball Junction to Park City. Dakota thinks the development would be half occupied in 2029, then completed in 2031 or 32. The next meeting between the council and developer will be part of the council's regular Wednesday meeting February 7th. It's expected to cover housing again. Connor Thomas, KPCW News. Joining me now in the studio from the Summit County Sheriff's Office, I have Sheriff Frank Smith along with Chief Deputy Casey Bates. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Great. Thanks. So let's start with just a, a recap. I mean, in terms of uh, like a couple of big events here, we had Sundance uh, a week ago, um, and I know some of the venues are certainly in the Snyderville Basin. Anything that you guys had to deal with? 
so Leslie, uh, I did just I did I did some numbers and I pulled our call volume coming in. Yes, we have some venues that come into our area, but not a lot. So I kind of focused on the call volume that comes in, and the call volume pretty much doubles during Sundance coming into our dispatch center this year. We did 10 days before, 10 days after, and there was about a double in call volume. Now, did we have a storm that helped out with that call volume or something like that? Possibly, but I found that interesting that, that the call volume doubled. Um, when we talk about accidents and like DUIs and, and stuff like that, it, it, was, it stayed about typical. I think people really utilize the transportation systems that are available, which was really nice to, to see in data. Um, so, but other than that, um, that's how it affected us. Okay. And then what about World Cup this past week? I mean, that's a purely Park City venue. Do, do, does the Sheriff Office help out at all? So, no, we didn't see a whole lot with the World Cup. Um, I did see the snowstorm that came in last night. Um, but other than that, with the traffic, um, we didn't really see a lot with the call volume or accidents or anything like that that came in with that. Okay. And, and, it's, and it's hats off to Deer Valley because they put on a wonderful event. We actually attended this year, and it's just it's just a marvelous event. And they do a great job uh, with traffic coming and going. It's it was just really really well done. So hats off to Deer Valley. Okay. Well, as I was looking for topics, I, I kind of was scrolling, you know, social media and uh, both Facebook and the the platform X. And it's like, it's been almost a year since the Sheriff's Department has posted on social media. Do you guys just not see that as effective or? No, don't? we absolutely see social media effective. We are just not utilizing Twitter at this time. We're mostly utilizing our Facebook and our Instagram page. Um, and we have a lot of people that in our department that have multiple assignments. And so we, we get pulled in a lot of directions, but that's kind of the focus that we went into. We're also looking at a sheriff's app that we are going to have um, brought out hopefully pretty soon that will be connected to our social media and it'll be a app that people can download and that's where they would get real-time information where it's accidents anything that's happening actually people can um, call in to that and and text message through that platform we're really excited about getting that started um, but no with the social media we absolutely think it's important we want to share information but we're utilizing Instagram and Facebook mostly and Twitter you're right we, we haven't been utilizing that yeah and that's certainly I mean that's where people go to in terms of breaking news and of course we saw with uh, Park City School District you know that the, the hold the hold down I mean people were finding out about it before we even had a release so you're hoping that that app would kind of the app will absolutely help with that there actually have been a lot of different agencies not in utah but in other states that have utilized it and they have found it to be very helpful in connecting to the to, to the public and real-time events that are happening okay when do you hope to have that online we are hoping to be within a few months okay. i'm hoping within six months we will have that up and running and a big push on that all right. Um, and I certainly understand we have HIPAA laws to deal with here, but can you give us an update on your deputy, Tasha Higby? Yeah, so Tasha is, well, first of all, I want to talk about the money that we raised for her, if that's okay. We wanted to really express the thanks to the community um, because she ended up, and we didn't have the number until just a 
just like a week ago, she ended up raising almost $40,000 between the benefit concert that we held, the Help a Hero, and that is a direct result of a community that just surrounded her and us, and, and we can't thank her. She wants to express her appreciation to everyone. She has said so many times, I don't know how to thank everyone. I wish I had every person's name. And, you know, there's just no way to reach out and thank everyone. So she wanted us to express her thanks to the community for all the support that she's had, the support from the sheriff's office, the support from the county um, has been really important to her. And and she considers us family and we consider her family. So um, and we got some really good news um, from her just recently that she can come back. Yeah, so she can come back at a um, decreased rate, but her doctors have released her to come back and do some administrative work. And so we're really excited about that. And we saw her at the office for the first time on Friday. Oh, great. Um, let's talk a little bit about the investigation with regard to Donald Ball. This was the 41-year-old the Woodland man who was shot and killed by a Summit County deputy last November. Yes. So uh, last week we received a letter of clearance from the uh, Wasatch County uh, District Attorney's Office. Um, the deputy will come back to work today. Uh, he has uh, been on leave now since the incident occurred. Um, but, you know, the, the real issue here is our heart goes out to, to, to the individual that, you know, we had to take his life and the deputy's family, but mental health. We're looking at trying to get a federal grant to increase the capacity of our jail's mental health, you know, unit. Um, these veterans are coming home. They're young men when they, young men and women, when they go off, they see horrific things. And this isn't an outlier case. If we went across the country, this is unfortunately becoming a norm. And it feels like society has let these young people down. Um, it's just a, it's a real complex issue. It's not something you throw money at, but we have to figure out a solution as, as a society. And uh, my heart goes out to everyone on this because there are no winners, but I can tell you unequivocally if that deputy didn't act in the way, in the manner he did, there's a good chance he wouldn't be alive. Yeah. I mean, we had heard that allegedly the uh, Mr. Ball approached the deputy with a large, blunt object. We never heard what that large, blunt object is. Can you tell us now that it's been cleared? Um, it was a steel pipe, uh, approximately three to four feet in length, with a metal cap on top of it. And it was an approach the deputy was giving commands as soon as they got out of the vehicle and uh, the suspect sprinted at him. The amount of territory that the deputy retreated um, in a two, less than two second period was astonishing while Mr. Ball was pursuing him. Um, so do investigations typically take three months? So they usually take longer. There's people within Salt Lake County that have been out for over a year this was actually an investigation that was done by um, a task force led by the Attorney General's office. It was very, very thorough. Um, and the Wasatch County District Attorney's office actually completed it pretty quickly compared to other events.
And this was just in terms of any criminal charges that the deputy could be facing? Correct. It, it, they justified the use of deadly force. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the event is on dash cam video. Um, so um, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of evidence out there that, that they had to sift through. Um, and, and truly, we appreciate them taking the time and being this thorough. Um, so there's no questions by the family or by the deputy's family of what occurred. Um, we're transparent to the public, and that's our job. If the family did want to go ahead with some civil charges, they could. They would have to they do could, that on their own. You know, in, in most cases, these are followed by, by civil lawsuits. I don't know if this will be the case, um, but that's usually the next course of action. But we, we feel extremely comfortable with the action of the deputy tape, 100% support the deputy, and uh, we just feel awful it came to this. Yeah. And uh, in terms of him coming back, I mean, how challenging is that? Well, you know, he's, he's a, a very squared away uh, deputy that's seasoned. Um, there will be challenges. Um, I had a discussion with him just the other day. My greatest concern would be that he would be apprehensive to take those actions again and put himself in jeopardy. So it's, it's, it's something that we will monitor, um, and uh, his supervisors are well aware of it. You know, this is... This is kind of proven science um, after all these years in law enforcement. Uh, but I feel like uh, he'll be okay. Wouldn't put him out there if he wasn't. Um, but we will closely monitor it. All right. Also this past week, uh, the Park City Council uh, talked about upping the pay for special events. Um, Summit County looking into the same? We're, we're going to follow suit with what the city does. Um, we will up the special event pay. Uh, which is, it's, it's a nominal um, increase, uh, but it's an increase that we need. Uh, the deputies, we can't have a deputy not willing to take um, an off-duty additional assignment because they would make more money uh, working overtime. So you have to balance that out because uh, we have to fill those shifts. Um, and that's what this will do. That will balance it out where you're not making as much money or more um, working overtime within your department. Yeah. How many of your deputies actually work a second job, if you will? Well, I think every one of them would take overtime. And mm -hmm. it's not really a second job when we're working events in Park City, although I guess if, if you look at it, you know, from, um, from the standpoint of they're not in the county doing work, I guess it would be a second job. But they, um, uh, I don't know of one deputy in uniform or an investigation that doesn't take those assignments. Yeah, and I guess in the event of some catastrophe, and you know, you've got several deputies working a special event, what happens? I mean, you need them. Do they just get pulled off the other special event? Well, you know, Park City Police Department and us have such a great relationship, and we depend on each other. If we have a catastrophe, we tap into our resources. The resources are Park City Police, the Highway Patrol. Um, we've never had an issue when things like that have happened where we didn't have sufficient manpower, um, and I don't anticipate that. We have such a great partnership, especially with Park City. Um, uh, Chief Carpenter has been amazing, and, and uh, we really value that relationship. Okay. Anything else you wanted to mention? Nope, I don't think so. Thanks, Leslie. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. Okay. Thank you. That's Summit County Sheriff Frank Smith along with Chief Deputy Casey Bates. You're listening to the Local News Hour here on KPCW.
Well, the 27th Annual Leadership 101 session is back on Friday. And as always, the day will be filled with information, issues, and local leaders. Whether you've been in town for a year or 10, Leadership 101 is an opportunity to learn more about the issues facing Summit County, as well as hear from the leaders who are making the decisions. The day-long event is happening this Friday, February 9th from 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Blair Education Center at Park City Hospital. Park City Leadership Director Miles Reitman says it's a barrage of information in a single day. You're really going to learn a lot. So if you're interested in the issues that are impacting the city and the county, on a day-to-day -day basis, this is the fire hose of information that you've been waiting for. Because uh, one after another, we have speakers all day long. The Park City Mayor and Chair of the Summit County Council will welcome participants, followed by Rademan making a short slide presentation titled, Honoring Our Past. Other topics and personalities will include longtime resident and developer Bill Coleman giving an overview of future development. Summit County Community Development Director Pat Putt will be reviewing major developments and Heber City Manager Matt Brower will preview the redevelopment of Heber's downtown. And it goes on from there. You know, we'll talk about the Olympics. Uh, Colin Hilton will be there. Jamie Johnson will talk about real estate. We'll talk about uh, sustainable tourism what we're doing for that and the future of our schools. So that, that always comes up. And uh, we have more speakers after that. So it just keeps going and going. Raderman warns that there is a lot of content in a very concentrated form. And we do in the rest of the year has this much content in such a concentrated form. And people walk out kind of exhausted, I have to admit, including me, because you're hearing from a lot of people who are very passionate about these issues. But it also, I think, uh, people leave hopeful and people leave energized saying, wow, you know, people are really thinking about these things. Registration is $50, which provides for breakfast, lunch, and snacks. A link to register is in the web version of this report at kpcw.org. Also, save the date for the annual community leadership lecture. That's happening on Monday, March 18th. This year's lecture will actually be a panel of six people from different resort communities who will talk about how their communities are dealing with the new reality of ski resort business. The Live Like Sam Foundation presents an evening with guest speaker Joel Zuckerman this week. In the studio with details, I have the founder of Live Like Sam, Ron Jackenthal. On the phone joining us, we have Parkite Joel Zuckerman. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Ron, why don't we just start with you and give us just a, a tell us a little bit what, what the Live Like uh, Sam Foundation is and what you guys do. Thanks, Leslie. Yeah, so Live Like Sam is Summit and Wasatch County's premier youth well-being and prevention nonprofit through positive programming. And we really focus on essentially helping our youth um, find a healthy sense of self, self-love, self-compassion. And it's our belief um, and that of, of many in kind of the mental health space. You know, if we help our kids love themselves and they just have a much more fulfilling uh, lifestyle. Okay. Um, the event is when, where, and where? Uh, so the event is this Wednesday. It is at the St. Regis. Um, the event is actually sold out. Um, we're really proud of that. We have uh, a beautiful event set up for Joel to come in and speak. He'll talk about that. Uh, we've got capacity for 75 people. If anybody is interested in getting on the wait list, they can uh, email Jessica and uh, at our foundation at programs at livelikesam.org. Okay. And uh, the cost is how much? It's a $100 suggested donation. All right. And so why are you doing this? I mean, it's, it's kind of titled um, The Seven Pillars of Expressive Gratitude. So our focus is really around like whole being. So we look at our youth and they are heavily impacted by 
their parents, by adults, by educators, by health workers. And um, gratitude is something that our programs team works really hard on in the schools um, with our kids, really teaching them to, um, to be grateful and to, have, to just have appreciation for that. And Joel and I go back uh, through uh, Toastmasters for a number of years now, and he's, a, he's an excellent speaker, and he's written a book on gratitude as well as many others, which I'll let him talk about. Okay, so Joel, um, maybe just begin by telling us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thank you, Leslie, for having me on the show. I'm the author of nine books. I used to be in the golf business. I've written a number of books about golf, but I changed my focus to gratitude. Very strange transition, I know. And uh, I have a homegrown kind of organic understanding of gratitude for one reason only. In the last 10 years, I've written 230 letters of gratitude to people in my life who have impacted me and who have assisted me or helped me from family, friends, many letters to people in Park City over the years. And I used to be a professional speaker. I would speak on cruise ships and conferences, country clubs about golf because I'd written many golf books and won some awards in that business. And I realized about a year ago that I could take that same professional speaking capability that I have and develop a keynote address on gratitude, which impacts 100% of the people in the world versus my golf speech, my golf speaking, which impacted less than 1% of the world. Nobody really, 1% of the world at most cares about golf, but everyone should care about gratitude. So Ron and I got together and decided to put this evening together to honor uh, and to promote Live Like Sam. Okay, um, in 2020, you wrote that book specifically on gratitude, uh, again, using, incorporating those letters of gratitude, as you mentioned. So tell us how that changed your life. Great question, thank you. I am deeply imbued with gratitude. I think about gratitude, and this is what I'll be talking about in my presentation. And before I answer that question, the reason that I partnered with Live Like Sam is the whole nonprofit universe relies on gratitude. Ron and his crew are grateful to people who donate to Live Like Sam, and the people who avail themselves of Live Like Sam services are grateful that Live Like Sam exists. So any nonprofit operates in a universe of gratitude, which is why this is a very symbiotic relationship. I found, in answer to your question, gratitude has changed me. It's given me a little bit more equanimity, a little bit more emotional balance. My thinking about and living, trying to live a grateful life helps me sleep better. It can actually have physiological effects like lowering your blood pressure. And I think about gratitude 10, 15, 20 times a day, and the manifestation of my gratitude are the hundreds of letters that I've been lucky enough to write and send to people in my life from all walks and all eras. Okay, so maybe explain how the event's gonna work, um, Ron. You're, you've got uh, kind of a pre-party and then he Joel will get up and, and talk. Will be some kind of Q&A, or how, how's that going to work? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Um, so we've got our events from 5.30 to 7. We'll have a uh, cocktail hour sponsored by the St. Regis and Russian River uh, Vineyards. So we're really excited to partner with them. Um, that'll go on for about 30 to 45 minutes, and then Joel will I'll, I'll do an introduction. We'll show a, kind of a short movie uh, a clip on, on the foundation, and Joel will speak for uh, for 40 minutes, and then hopefully take some questions from, uh, from the crowd. All right, and as I mentioned, uh, Joel, the event is titled The Seven Pillars of Expressive Gratitude. 
what are those seven pillars? Are those the, some well, that you've defined, or? Yes, that I've defined. Leslie, you'll have to come. You'll have to come in here. Now, I'll tell you what they are. Uh, and we have a we have a um, we have a giveaway. We have a uh, takeaway cardboard with the seven pillars because studies show that people can only retain about 15 or 20 percent of the information they hear in a presentation add in a couple of glasses of wine and that number is going to go down so we want people to remember or at least be able to recall the seven pillars and the seven pillars very quickly are writing letters of gratitude are first of all wonderful for you the writer the writer has a great benefit Secondly, the recipient feels great. Thirdly, the recipient feels great about you, the writer, who reached out to them. The fourth pillar is it's a creative process. The fifth pillar is it turns your focus outward away from yourself as you are writing a letter to someone else. The sixth pillar is the ripple effect. Someone receives a letter. They might be inclined to write a letter themselves to someone else. And the seventh is hard to explain in a quick bullet point. It's called the legacy effect because your letter will last a lifetime. So those are the seven pillars of expressive gratitude. Or, Leslie, as Gertrude Stein, the writer, said it so beautifully, silent gratitude isn't much good for anybody. So gratitude needs to be expressed verbally. And in my case, hundreds of times I've reached out and it's changed me. And I want to share that message with all the good people who have chosen to come out and support Live Like Sam on Wednesday. Yeah, and and looking at you, Ron, I mean, you lost a, a son. I mean, is there something to be grateful as a result of that? There is. You know, um, a lot of people who have had a kind of loss that our family has, I mean, let's just be, let's be clear, right? A lot of people lose someone they love, they, they die, they pass away, and, and they kind of put them away. You know, I'm so grateful that I get to, and my daughter Skylar, like, we get to have Sam continue to live on. Uh, it's untraditional, maybe it's unorthodox, but you know, Sam lives on. We are creating memories with Sam every day. We're impacting thousands of kids in this community, Summit County, Wasatch County, every day, grades K through, you know, K through 12. And uh, while we'd give anything to have him back, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be able to do what we do, the opportunity to share Sam's life and legacy with so many people. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's it's really special. Joel, I was going to mention that I saw that you also host a podcast called Mostly Grateful. I guess, <laughs> when do you find that you're not grateful? 95% <laughs> of the time, but... 5% of the time is a lot. And I want to I want to piggyback Leslie on what Ron just said and I'm going to mention this in my introductory remarks before I really dive into the seven pillars tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Wednesday, 5:30 to 7 at the Deercrest Club at Lower uh, in Snow Park. Uh, one thing I'm going to say is that every day around the world thousands of parents lose a child. It's just inevitable and very, very few, an infinitesimal percentage of those bereaved parents are able to turn the loss of their child into a force for good. So I understand when Ron says he is grateful because he has been able to take this terrible tragedy of losing his only son, Sam, into a force for good. And in a sad, strange, but wonderful way, Ron is, I know, is grateful that he was able 
to create Live Like Sam with his daughter, Skylar. All right. Again, this is Wednesday at the Deercrest Club. Uh, waiting list only at this point. Programs at livelikesam.org. Is that where people need to, if they're interested? Correct. Okay. Anything else either of you wanted to mention? Uh, Joel, Look, hey. Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, and Leslie, I was just going to mention uh, one other event we have coming up next week. So uh, we are a recipient of Vail Epic Promise uh, support. Live Like Sam has a First Tracks event on Valentine's Day. It's super special. It's from 7 a.m. till essentially 10, 15 a.m. Again, it's donation-based, but we get to get out and ski, about 100 of us, at Park City Mountain Resort. It includes a pass. It includes parking. Um, it, the chance to ski with an amazing group of people and then a gourmet brunch <clears throat> at the Mid-Mountain Lodge uh, before uh, either skiing the rest of the day or going back to uh, what you do. So if anybody's interested, they can go to our website or also reach out to Jessica, programs at livelikesam.org, and uh, sign up for First Tracks. Okay. Uh, Ron Jackenthal, Joel Zuckerman, thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you very much, Leslie. Thank you. Well, as the Summit County Council continues its series of special meetings on the Dakota Pacific Real Estate Development Plans at Kimball Junction, ahead of a planned vote for February 20th, the Friends of Summit County for Responsible Development including Gary Peacock, is asking, what's the rush? She joins me now in the studio to express some of the group's concerns. Good morning, Gary. Good morning. Um, first, the 50 acres that we're talking about has vested development rights in the form of a development agreement. So I guess why are you guys so op opposed to this? Well, first of all, it's 60 acres, and uh, Dakota Pacific wants to develop on about 58 of those acres. So uh, right now, they've had uh, three separate plans. We're on plan C right now. Uh, plan A was allotted uh, 1.8 million square feet. And there was a lot of opposition in the community. Um, on December 1st, 2021, we brought out 1,000 people. That's the highest number any of the county council people had ever seen. And um, they revised their plan eventually to where we are now, Plan C. So they had a bit of a reduction uh, down to 1.3 million square feet. But uh, they want to take credit for that. But in fact, that's more in alignment with the development agreement. But we're against it for several reasons. One is, is this thing is going to create a traffic nightmare in Kimball Junction, uh, I think anybody listening right now understands uh, what an acute traffic problem we have in the junction right now. And then uh, Dakota Pacific comes in with this massive, it's essentially a neighborhood. It's 721 units. Um, and um, only about 32% of that is affordable housing. Normally, uh, in a project, uh, the council looks for about 50% affordable housing. So we don't think it has the affordable housing content that it should. Uh, but so there's traffic issues, um, just the construction alone, if you can imagine all the dump trucks that are going to come into Kimball Junction. Um, and there, there's no plan in place to mitigate this right now. Well, that usually comes later, right? After an approval, then they start looking at building permits and, and, and construction no, mitigation. Yeah, but sorry. I'm not talking about that kind of traffic. I'm talking about uh, all the residents that will be there. 
they've estimated there'll be 1,600 residents. Uh, we don't agree with that because it doesn't take into account all the retail and commercial space. There's over 200,000 square feet of retail and commercial space. Right. Um, you know, we've only got about 12 minutes here. So I guess um, let's, let's look at, at traffic there. I mean, what, what we hear is that traffic engineers say that if Dakota Pacific were to build what they bought, a line that your group likes to use a lot, the traffic would be even worse than the plan that's being proposed. People living close to a transit center don't have to drive. So I guess why are you holding out for a, a tech park when the experts tell us it guarantees more traffic? Well, first of all, I don't think the experts say this. Uh, if you just think about this intuitively, uh, if you have a neighborhood complex with 720 residences, that's going to be 3,200 cars minimum. That is aside from uh, all the commercial and retail traffic, okay? Uh, yes, there uh, could be a, uh, a bus stop there, uh, but the belief that people are just going to hop on the bus everywhere, uh, that's a bit, bit of a myth. Um, so we don't believe that a, a bus system is going to relieve the traffic there because people that have cars are going to use cars. And that's the nature of, of Park City. Okay, so what is it that your group wants? As we know, the development isn't going away. It's a vested development. Council members believe, and their economic director, development director, will tell the group this week, as, as he's one of the, the speakers at the special meeting, that a tech park is no longer relevant in Summit County. I mean, as I recall, back when this was approved in 2008, the idea was that this was going to be a great way to diversify Park City. We're going to bring in high-paying jobs, and we're going to provide market-rate housing for them to live. Some affordable housing is required. I think it's a 10 to 20 percent minimum requirement. But we're hearing that the economic diversity that was hoped for has not happened and won't happen. So are we beating a dead horse here? Absolutely not. Um, the tech industry is uh, busting at the seams. I'm actually from Silicon Valley. Uh, it turns out that uh, in the next uh, five to seven years, the semiconductor industry in Silicon Valley is going to need an additional million people. Uh, because of that, uh, companies are relocating to different tech centers like Silicon Slopes here in Austin, um, in Boise, right, back east. And so uh, we, we have it on a good authority that uh, Microsoft was willing to come in and talk to Dakota Pacific, and they declined that offer. Uh, and we don't think Boyer Corporation um, did a good job trying to recruit uh, a tech business. I mean, all we need is one tech company to come and put their headquarters there. But aside from that, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a tech center. Uh, we're opposed to Dakota Pacific, and our eventual uh, solution would be for uh, some county to purchase the land. And then the community can decide what the best use is if it's not a tech park. Uh, granted, the tech park hasn't been built out, but we don't believe there's been a significant effort to get it built out because residential housing is much has a much higher return on investment for Dakota Pacific. 
Um, what about the rest of the Friends group? I mean, are they turning out like you saw um, two years ago? Um, or are you kind of fighting this on your own? No, I'm not. Actually, they're releasing a uh, press release this morning, should go out. Uh, and uh, they're urging people to attend the February 15th only public comment meeting um, at Ecker Hill at 6 o'clock. And we believe we're going to have a good turnout for that. Um, you know, I kind of communicate uh, to the community through next door. And there's been uh, quite an enthusiastic response to the information. You know, I've been looking at, um, I've been going to all the working sessions. And uh, I think what has been revealed in these working sessions is a huge disconnect uh, between the building of the project and the traffic mitigation solution from UDOT. And this has the community quite alarmed because UDOT says we're not going to be able to make any decision on any option until the end of the year and possibly 2025. Then it's going to take another five years to build this out. The community sees Dakota Pacific, they're going to start work in a year or so. And so we're going to suffer through that traffic, and then we're going to suffer through the UDOT uh, traffic plan, whatever that is. Um, Mark Standworth, uh, the CEO of Dakota Pacific, just said on Thursday that, well, you know, uh, we basically have to build this project to get UDOT's attention. So their argument is we had to create chaos in Kimball Junction for a few years to motivate UDOT. But the truth is, UDOT's already motivated by the prospect of the Olympics coming. So in 2034, UDOT has a charter and a plan to mitigate traffic in Kimball Junction for the Olympics. So we don't need to build Dakota Pacific to force UDOT to get a traffic mitigation. So all of this has created huge concern in the community and I still think that it's well over 90 percent the community is against this and so it's not hard to get people out for this public comment meeting. So it does sound like there will be a traffic fix at some point and based on the recent discussions it sounds like this could be the reason that the Summit County Council wants a decision before the end of the, the legislative session to ensure that there is some funding available to begin planning for the traffic improvements. I mean, if, if, if we push this off, we're, now we're another year behind, no? Well, you know, this is where it gets a little murky because we know that the county council has had discussions with the state legislature about the issues and the council has pledged to be transparent and so they've held these working sessions, but uh, they haven't told us anything about what their conversations are like with the state legislature. So we don't know if there's a rainbow at, at the end of the legislative session, right? There's virtually no substantiation that they're going to accelerate the program. In fact, quite to the contrary, the council was uh, very disappointed in UDOT's comments that they're not gonna be able to make a decision until the end. The, it's possible, Leslie, that there won't be any traffic solution um, in, in seven years even because there's cost overruns, there's 
construction delays. You know, there's this, um, there's this project list the state maintains. It's called the STIP list. It's a 10-year list of all the construction projects for the whole state of Utah. Uh, Park City, uh, Summit County, we're not even on that STIP list. And the fact is that UDOT has a process. They take two years to do an environmental impact study. They take two years to gather bids to finalize the design. And it takes two years to actually build. That's six years in and of itself, okay? Now, it is true the environmental impact study is underway. But if they make a decision at the end of the year, it's still going to be five more years. So, uh, there, you know, the legislature, uh, I don't think that they're going to say, oh, this is the number one project in all of Utah. They will for the Olympics. And so we believe we'll get a fix without Dakota Pacific. You have, um, you have said that council has not been forthcoming about what offers they, they may or may not have. And I guess, and, and you feel like there's some predetermined outcome. County Attorney Margaret Olson has told me that is not the case. She's been sitting in the front row of this for the last five years. So where are you getting your information that this is a predetermined outcome? Well, okay, if you connect all the dots, you'll see uh, that some of the most ardent opposition uh, to the project has softened. Roger Armstrong, from the very beginning, he told Dakota Pacific, we're not going to let you build this project unless you solve the traffic problem. And initially, initially there was uh, some interest in Dakota Pacific trying to influence the, the legislature. But in the last year or so, they've said, well, traffic was here before we got here. We can't really solve that, okay? So uh, Roger has uh, said that, uh, you know, the future looks bleak in terms of, uh, he, he sees a future of, of litigation. He sees a future of uh, the state trying to pass additional laws to circumvent the county. Um, and so I think he was believing that perhaps uh, we could get together with Dakota Pacific and negotiate some reasonable deal. Well, it turns out that's not the case. We're into our third or fourth working session. On Thursday, February 1st, Dakota Pacific came back with Plan C, the very same plan they had last year, which, which basically triggered the, the litigation against them. It went to court and they lost. And uh, the Friends for Responsible Development and other people are completely mystified as to why the council would be heading to reverse their position on this. Um, so I think it's fatigue uh, from fighting this project. Um, I think the, there's talks with the legislature, but in fact, there's nothing concrete. There's no promise to uh, pay for uh, the traffic fix. Uh, I, I have heard various things from people deep inside uh, the county that suggest that the, count, uh, the uh, legislature's actually changed their tactics from beating Summit County by withholding uh, certain funds, traffic funds, et cetera, to now providing some unspecified, ambiguous, and vague incentives and the council won't tell the community 
what those incentives are so we can evaluate them. But overall, the community is not convinced that the project should go forward with a low percentage of affordable housing and all the traffic issues, not to mention the infrastructure issues. Uh, there's going to be a couple of thousand people. What are we going to do about the schools, the police, the fire uh, departments? Uh, they're all going to have to be resized. All right, and I just got to point out that the county sued over Senate Bill 84's wording, not the development plan, not Plan C. That's what we're fighting about. I understand, but Dakota Pacific is still presenting Plan C. What they sued over was uh, Senate Bill 84, which basically circumvented uh, the council and allowed Dakota Pacific to move forward uh, usurping uh, self-determination in the county. And yes, the court said that SB 84 doesn't apply. Okay, so the development agreement is in place. And so what Dakota Pacific is asking for is an amendment. They're asking for a change in the entitlements. So this is, this is a very unique position the county's in because a lot of the property is entitled and we, don't, we really can't regulate it. In this particular case, since they're asking for an amendment, actually the uh, council can say no. And real quick, um, you know, again, this has been before the county council since 2021. Isn't the applicant entitled to a decision? I mean, you can string this out for forever. I mean, they, put yourself in his place, right? I mean, if, if you didn't get a decision for four or five years, wouldn't you want a decision? Well, apparently they're going to get a decision. But the, the problem is we have been dealing with it for four or five years. There have been a number of public comment meetings. And then about a month ago, this thing went into high gear. It's been dormant. And then all of a sudden, because of conversations with the state legislature and Casey Snyder from Cache Valley in particular, um, there was this push to enter into a conversation and perhaps a kind of negotiation. And that negotiation hasn't yielded anything. They haven't reduced their Plan C by even one single unit. Uh, and so, yes, they're entitled to a decision, but given the traffic disconnect, uh, given uh, the fact that the uh, affordable housing has low content as percentage of the whole uh, project, the community is still dead set against this project. And yes, they're going to get a vote on February 20th. Okay, Gary, thanks for your time. I got to leave it there.